Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The commandment is the word that you have heard. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask, ask now as we open up your word that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it. We ask that you would encourage our hearts, that you would lead us to a greater love for Christ and a love for one another because of it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, this is a beautiful town. She said to me as we drove through the small town on our way to our final destination. To which I replied, oh, I didn't even notice. I need to, to focus on, on getting there. We're already behind schedule. It, it's taken too long. You see, this is the way my mind works. As we travel on vacation, I was so focused on getting to the end that I lost sight of the beauty around us. I couldn't enjoy what we were seeing on the way there. I was, I was numb to the sights, the smells, the, the sounds around me because I cared, what I cared about was reaching the final destination. We, we've got to get there. And I say this because that's basically what I have seen happen in my own study here in 1 John. I feel tension. I feel tension in, in getting through the book of 1 John and moving on to the next book and, and moving on to the next book. And as I was studying this week, I realized that if I rush, we might miss the beauty of what John is teaching us in this short little book. So this is my defense for slowing down over the next, especially over the next several weeks. All that to say, instead of covering 7 through 17, which was my original plan, okay, so you had an, an insert last week. I was going to cover 7 through 17. Lord willing, this is how I want to do it. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11 this week. And then 12 through 14 next week. And then 15 through 17 the week after that. Okay, we're slowing down. We're just taking a stroll through the book. I want us to see the beauty of it. So my one-month calendar that you got, it's, it's off already. All right? It's off already. I gave it to you last week. It's off. And that's okay. That's okay. I need to be okay with that. All right? So here's what I want us to see this morning. Here's what we've seen this morning in our text the emphasis is on love and assurance. We're introduced here in verses 7 through 11 to the test of love. 
In 2, 1 through 6, which we looked at last week, John provided his readers with a test of obedience. Obedience to the commands of God is, is the evidence, an indicator that a person knows God and belongs to him, is united to him. And as a result, the one who claims to know God must walk as Jesus walked. And, and like I said, and even prayed, we don't do this perfectly. But there is the obligation and expectation that we will live like Jesus lived. And so now, what John does is he, he zeroes in on one specific command. To love one another. We, we see here that, that John... That we see here that love, and John will focus on a love for one another, a love for other Christians, other believers. That's specifically what he's doing in this text. Love is an indicator that we are walking in the light and are united to Christ. Love is an indicator that we are walking in the light and are united to Jesus Christ. So I see in this text three reasons why we ought to love one another. First, love for one another is the command that characterizes the new age in Christ. Okay, look with me at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John warmly greets his readers as beloved, as those who belong to Christ, as those who are loved by God, as those who are loved by John. Right? He loves his church. He loves his people that God has given him to shepherd. And he wants to encourage them in their love for one another. It appears that those who had left the church were claiming to be Christians, but their actions revealed that they hated the believers. Okay, that, that's the situation and circumstance in this letter. They believed that it didn't matter how you lived. It didn't matter how you treated others. So John's readers were probably hearing this. And whispered in their ears, maybe even beginning to believe it. Perhaps John was being accused of bringing up a, a new concept that they must now follow, a new teaching that they were to follow. Or perhaps the false teachers were introducing their own new teaching. And they were seeking to entice the church members to follow them and to leave what John had initially taught them. So what, do, what does John say? Verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. John responds by drawing attention to the command that they have heard. It is an old commandment. It is not something new. It is the commandment to love one another. Although he doesn't specifically state this in our text, he's certainly referring to this command to love one another. Because what he's going to do is he's going to contrast love and hate. Right? Light, darkness, love, hate. Love for brothers, hate for brothers. 
And we see a parallel statement in 2 John 5 with our text here. Listen to 2 John verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one you had from the beginning. Same thing, right? And here's what he says. That we love one another. This command to love one another is what they have heard from the beginning. It is, is what they heard at the beginning of their Christian life. At the beginning of being called to follow Christ and believe in Christ came this command, love one another. The command to love one another is tied to a call to believe in Christ, right? So we don't separate the two. It's tied together in John's thinking here. Loving one another was therefore not a new concept for John. Even the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, Israel was called to do what? Love God, right? Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said all the law and the prophets were summed up in those two commands. So it's not surprising that they had heard this from the beginning of their call to faith, from the beginning of their Christian life. So it is old in the sense that Israel was called to obey it under the Old Covenant, and it is old in the sense that they had received it from the beginning of their Christian life. John had not invented this or made it up. He was taught this by Jesus himself. This is where we begin to see how it's new. It's a new commandment, right? Verse, look at the first part of verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus told his disciples this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So it's an old command. At the same time, it's a new command. How is it new? Certainly because Jesus is the new standard for the command, right? Jesus commanded us, did you notice that? Jesus commanded us to love one another as I have loved you. So the new standard of love is now Jesus' self-sacrificial example. He sets the standard for what love really looks like. He lays down his life for his people. But I would suggest to you as well, it is also new because it characterizes the new age that Christ has ushered in through his death and resurrection. Okay, so, so th I want you to get this. this is, I think this is important. Remember, when we read a passage, right, context is key. Do you know what happened when Jesus states that this is a new commandment I give to you? Do you know what happened prior to this new command that he gives in John 13? 
Jesus washes his disciples' feet, giving an example of his love as he would humbly become a servant and wash them through his death and on the cross. So, washing the disciples' feet. And the context is the Lord's Supper. Jesus would inaugurate a new covenant by his blood. It's pictured here at the table. This is what we're going to partake of later. Of what Jesus was about to do for them. So with, with the dawning of the new covenant, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, comes a new commandment for the people of God. You see? And this is what John is picking up here in, in this text when he says it's new. Because notice what he says in verse 8, the last part of verse 8. So at the same time, it is a new commandment. Why, John? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It is a new command because the new age has dawned. Jesus ushered in the new age. He ushered in the age to come through his death and resurrection. Notice what John says. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness refers to this present evil age. It is the age characterized by sin and rebellion. It belongs to the old, crea the old creation, which is passing away. The darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. The true light refers to Christ, who is the light of the world. He is, he is the true light which has come into the world. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The true light is already shining. Both exist at the same time. The present evil age, darkness, and the age to come, the true light is already shining. This is the overlap of the ages. The overlap of the ages. The Jews in that day expected that when the coming age dawned, new creation, resurrection, new covenant, then the evil age would be set aside immediately. Okay, that was the expectation. This evil age, this present age, when, Christ, when the Christ would come and inaugurate this new covenant, this new creation, resurrection, the evil age would be set aside. And the age to come would result... But with the resurrection of Jesus, within history, the new age has already dawned, but not yet in its fullness. You see? And so the age to come has invaded this present evil age. Just as the rising sun peaks over the horizon, I don't know which direction I'm in right now, as the rising sun peaks over the horizon and invades the night sky, 
until the darkness is completely removed, so also the true light is already shining and it will triumph over darkness. Did you catch it this morning? Did you notice a fog this morning? Okay, I was up early enough. I saw the sun rise. You see the sun rise. There's still a fog at the same time. You see light, but there's still this fog. And as the light triumphs over the fog, over the darkness, so to speak, as it rises, what happens? The fog is lifted. It's gone. But both were existing at the same time, you see? That's what I want us to see here. John is going to emphasize this. We are children. We are already children of God, but not yet what we shall be, right? Not until he appears. If you belong to Christ... If you have placed your faith in Christ, then you have been delivered from this present evil age, Galatians 1.4, and the light of Christ shines in you and through you, and you will be characterized by a love for one another. For those who are in Christ, we know this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, for those who are in Christ, we are what? We are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And because we belong to the light, and we are new creations in Christ, let's obey the command to love one another in a selfless, sacrificial way. Second, my second point is this. This one will be quicker. My second point is this. Love for one another reveals that we are in the light. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So after stating that the true light is already shining, that the darkness is passing away, John observes the relationship between our words and our actions. Perhaps those who had left the church were claiming to be in the light, they were failing. They claim to be in the light, but they're failing to love other believers. And so John highlights this for us. He highlights the relationship between claiming to be in the light with our love for one another. Our words and our actions must match. Our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is an indicator that we are in the light. It is a test, it is the test of, by which we know that we are in Christ. Now, I do want to say this in this moment here. Loving other believers doesn't make us a Christian, right? It's not, okay, I'm going to work really hard at loving people. I'm just going to, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to work so hard to try to love people. And then maybe God will accept me. No. No. Rather, we are united to Christ. We are, we are the light of the world. Now the fruit that flows out of that is a love for other believers. Loving other believers gives evidence to our abiding in the light. John's point is this. Real, genuine Christians love one another. And John adds this. In him there is no cause for stumbling in other words, as you love other Christians, then you won't stumble in the darkness. 
Jesus would say, had said in John 11, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. When we are characterized by a love for others, and as we remain in the light and abide in the light, we won't stumble into sin. When we love other people, we can see and we won't trip into sinning against others. And we won't lead others into sin as well, right? So our love for others reveals that we are in the light. Third and finally, lack of love, a lack of love for one another reveals that a person belongs to the realm of darkness. Look with me at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is still in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I remember when my kids were little, for birthday parties, we would play pin the tail on the donkey. Are you familiar with this? Pin the tail on the donkey? We'd blindfold the kids, and then we spin them around and, and then send them on their way to pin the tail on the donkey. Pretty humorous when you watch. As soon as the blindfold is placed over your eyes, you're in darkness, right? They're in darkness. And then you walk in darkness, and you really have no idea where you're going. You try to feel your way around, but the darkness has blinded you. That's the idea that John's communicating here. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is a veil over people's eyes, right? There's a veil over people's eyes, and it needs to be removed. It needs to be lifted so that they can see the beauty of Jesus. The false teachers who had left the church failed to love other believers. They had turned a cold shoulder to them. And as a result, it revealed that they belonged to the realm of darkness. They lived in darkness. Their conduct of their life was characterized by sin and rebellion. And they don't know where they're going. They have no sense of direction. They don't even know the final destination. And they even fail to realize that they've been blinded by the darkness. They don't even know it. These are the characteristics of the unbelievers that you encounter in your day-to-day life. Whether it's your friends, your neighbor, co-workers, whether it's a family member, whether it's someone you see on television, whether it's someone running for office, veil, realm of darkness. They can't see. They don't even know where they're going. 
if they're an unbeliever. And we shouldn't be surprised by that either, right? We shouldn't be surprised by their actions as they live in darkness. There is a distinction between those who are in the light and those who are in belong to the darkness. So might we know this and be aware of this? And might this then lead us to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light? So we should proclaim Christ. We should love others. As we conclude, okay, we're going to take a moment and conclude, even as we prepare for the Lord's Supper in a moment. I want us to think about how we can apply this to our lives by asking a few questions and examining our own hearts before we come to the table. Is your life characterized by a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? How about here in our local church? Can we love one another if we fail to get to know one another or fail to get involved in one another's lives? Yeah, relationships are messy, aren't they? What does it look like to love others? Seen already, we're to love as Christ loved us. The love that John is describing and Jesus is demanding is not an emotional feeling toward another person. It is a self-sacrificing love. It is a commitment to the well-being of another. It is a concern for the interest of others. Love, we, we read this, didn't we? Love builds up. Love seeks not its own. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. John will even say in 1 John 3, 16 and 17, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? To love your brother or sister means that you lay down your life for them. And to love your brother and sister in Christ means that when you see them in need, you don't close your heart toward them. Love serves, love assists, and cares for the one in need. So, let's ask ourselves a few questions as we examine our own hearts. And when we consider how to love our brothers and sisters in this local body, how can I give of myself? Okay, you can look around, look around here. Maybe to the person next to you. Think to yourself these questions. How can I give of myself for this person next to me or this person across the room? How can I serve them and assist them? Am I speaking kindly about them to others? Am I promoting their interest above my own? 
am I open to meeting their needs? Am I even open? Children. Children. How can you gladly help your mom and dad around the house? Practical. How can you do that? Love, that's love. Teenagers, youth, young adults. Is most of my time spent on having my needs met? How am I serving and helping others out? Is my conversation all about me? Men, men, after a long, hard day at work, am I mentally and physically checked out? Or am I committed to sacrificing myself for my wife or family or for someone in the church? Have I given thought to the fact that maybe others have had a tough day too? Women, are you promoting your husband? Or whether you're married or not, how are you speaking about others in the local body? Is your conversation characterized by grumbling, complaining, or bitterness? All of us, all of us, have we even given thought that there are needs in the body of Christ? Or are we too consumed with having our own needs met? Right? These are legitimate questions that I ask myself as I wrestled through this text. As I examine my own heart. And brothers and sisters, as I examine my own heart, when the deeds of darkness are exposed, here's what I see. None of us are without fault. None of us always speak kindly to each other. None of us always serve and sacrifice our time or resources or energy for each other. None of us perfectly lay down our lives for others. But here's the good news. Jesus did. He loved us the unlovable, the unlovely. He loved us when we were sinners. He loved us when we were his enemies. When we hated him, he loved us and he died for us. And when we come to this table in a moment,
we ought to praise God for his great love. We come to this table as sinners, equal at the foot of the cross. We come to this table remembering and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. And as we come to this table in obedience to him, we are reminded of his love for us. And we celebrate this love together, that he is the one who has brought us forgiveness of sins and a changed life. By God's grace, we will grow in Christ's likeness, right? That's the hope, right? That's the, that will happen because we are new creations in Christ. We belong to the new age in Christ. We are and will be, and this is assurance for you if you're trusting in Jesus, you are and will be characterized by love for one another. Praise be to God for his great grace that cleanses us from every stain of sin and that gives us strength and power to love like him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for Jesus. There is none like him in all the earth. He displayed a perfect love that we'd never seen anything like it before. He loved us. We were his enemies. We turned away from you, and yet Jesus loves us. He, he laid down his life for us. So might we do the same for others. Might you enable us by your spirit to love others in this same way. And might we show that we are truly following Jesus and might lead others to follow Jesus as well. In his name we pray, amen.